You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Welcome back, everyone. I get to start us off this week. Um, I've been thinking a little bit about this at in this particular um, upcoming holiday uh, that we have. So like, which, which one would that what? be? Uh, there's a holiday. Yes. Uh, is uh, Valentine's day is coming up. Oh, oh that one. And that I'm, is indeed coming up. Yeah. And I'm sure that all of us have some sort of plan, whether we know what it is currently or not, or if like, or at least for the three of us, we're all in, pretty we're all in serious relationships like you two are both married um and not to each other but no not to yes, each correct. other well but you are both no. married so here's here's correct. a somewhat like correct. if you are comfortable like how did you exactly snag your partner because i'm going to tell the story of <laughs> how i snagged my partner and um yeah <laughs> wow this is uh, going okay. a different direction wow we're getting personal um just a little uh, well, it's a real quick version basically was that, uh, we met in college and, um, I heard her talking about ska bands, which were really hot at the time, which sort of ages me a little bit. Uh-huh. And, uh, I didn't know what ska music was at the time, mm-hmm. uh, but I did know that one of my friends had just mentioned that he had just, who was a drummer had just mentioned, had just joined a new band that was a ska band. So when I heard her talking about that, I was like, Hey, I got a friend who's a drummer in a ska band. And she's like, really? And then that was my end to, to hit off the whole conversation. So I'm not going to say it started with a lie. Mm-hmm. It just started with me, you know, bringing up a mutual topic that I knew <laughs> nothing about. Fabulous. Well, uh, my husband and I met actually at a museum. What a nerd. Aww. Yeah, so we are nerds. It was a natural history yeah, museum in a, in a minerals exhibit. So that's just... Minerals exist. Yeah. Oof. Uh, amazing. I mean, exciting, Hardcore. but wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, um, I'm going to tell you a little fun story about how I snagged my partner. Um, we've been going, okay. we've been dancing around each other for a little while. Like we've been going out on dates for like, at this point, actual months. All right. But neither of us had gone to the point okay. where mm-hmm. we're like asking each other to be each other's girlfriends. And because okay. we were both just so nervous. And Aww. so one of these dates, literally four months into dating. So doing great. <laughs> um, we just were at just super casual. Yeah. Um, so one of these dates at the end, I, I turned to her uh, and I walked her to her car, which is something that we had been doing per- like every time, every time. Uh, and we had our first kiss and I, no joke, immediately afterward, and apparently she does not remember this. I like went down okay. into like a full on lunge, like facing away from her. And this is in November underneath the streetlight in Minneapolis and was like, okay. hey, want to be my girlfriend? 
And apparently she honestly doesn't remember this. She was just very excited about the fact that, oh my gosh, she asked me to be her girlfriend. And I was, my brain is immediately like, oh my God, why am I doing this weird lunge away from her? <laughs> Wait, so you did a, <laughs> explain a this lunge away. I'm not following that. This was just a weird body movement that you did? Yep, yep what you're picturing is exactly what happened i quite literally like bent one knee went way low to the ground away from her put my (laughs) fists on my like hips it was like hey wanna be my girlfriend okay i can that's super awkward yes it is 100 picture you doing that however so oh 100 totally totally fits the bill exactly (laughs) and the best I mean, to be fair, she did say yes, and she doesn't remember this, but this is seared into my brain. Um, And with Valentine's Day coming up, it's just made made me think about that story uh, and how important it is to how we attract people and get further in our relationships. And I wanted to think about um, how different animals are attracting mates as well and attracting Mm -hmm. their partners. And there's one that's been on my list a of, for a, a while. Lunging. A lot of lunging. Um, but there's one yep. on the that has been in my on my list for a while that we haven't talked about yet. And it has some wild it has a wild way to attract the ladies. So okay. uh-huh. um Kirk, you might have actually seen this. They actually do exist here in Minnesota. They are in the prairies and they tend to go they're a little bit further west as well, in like the Dakotas. Um, it's a bird, uh, as you oh. might imagine. I'm interested. <laughs> uh, which bird? Uh, you probably do. So this particular bird um, has a really interesting courtship display. Um, this bird has like really dark feathers and really spiky like tail feathers, um, except for the males have a really bright white chest feather that just is very fluffy and how they attract uh-huh. a female is they strut themselves. They strut themselves. They also have a very special chest spot that has okay. sacs oh. that they inhale enough air up to a gallon of air <laughs> to then proceed to like make funny noises and things. So we'll get into that. Um, This bird is the greater sage grouse. Ah, so cool. Yeah. So they're really, really cool. Um, The females are the ones that do choose the male that is able to dance the best. Um, So they have a very special uh, collar around their necks of sorts of feathers. And it is this giant sack pretty much that they're able to fill air or they're able to inhale fill the sack and keep going until um until it's full pretty much up to a gallon of air and what they'll (laughs) do is they will swish their wings and let out a series of really low cooing sounds and then create two popping sounds with a whistle and as like the big big finish ready to woo all of the females what they'll do they raise their head and let out another sound but when they're inhaling um the air and everything they these sacks kind of pop out 
of their like neck feathers. The nice way that I've seen it described <laughs> is it looks like two pairs of sunny side up eggs on the front uh-huh. of this bird. <laughs> yep, yeah, yeah, that's a pretty good description. Mm-hmm. Out of curiosity, what's the not nice way? Boobs. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's right. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, that's not, look, that's not not nice. No, I, it's not not nice. But the like more kid friendly is looks like sunny side up eggs. Gotcha. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so they just have this beautiful dance that they do. Now, this uh, bird is larger than like a ringneck pheasant, but it is smaller than a turkey. Okay. So they're, as someone who's met grouse in the wild, <laughs> they're not. That's such an odd phrase. Okay. Yeah. The brightest birds out there. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I have opinions. Um, but these birds uh, are endangered and they are quite beautiful and the males do strut and they will spend hours dancing for the females to get their attention and approval. As their name suggests, these are generally in like sagebrush, sagebrush step uh, area uh, in like the western, you know, more western around like the Rocky Mountains, like like I said earlier, like the Dakotas, Nebraska, and that kind of area, um, they're really wide in the they're really widespread in those plains. But because they're plains, they're really popular in like they're really popular to become farms and everything. So they do not have a ton of like habitat, which is causing some issues. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. But I just I really wanted to talk about this just strange. I'll see if I can put a video up on our um, on our Instagram and Facebook uh, just because. And if you want to listen and are on this platform, our Tumblr. But they're displaying that they do this dance can last for hours. Um, and the males all do this, do this in large groups. So they're competing with each other actively. And they actually, generally speaking, will do this in about the same place every year if they're able to. Because what they'll... Yeah, a lek, they call it. Yeah, they call it a lek. Um, like, dance off, bro. Dance off. Yeah, let's go. It's like, all right, let's go. Um, yeah, pretty so cool. it's really fun because they're pretty much like, they puff out their chest and they quite literally fill these two yellowish air sacs and then to keep going and then they spread their tail, they drop their wings and then they throw their back, their head back and just keep making noises and um, dancing. And whoever is, I guess the prettiest and makes the best sound and has the best display gets the female. What lady could resist? Not all that different than a night downtown at the clubs. Exactly. Or, or, you know, under, Girlfriend, <laughs> you know, girlfriend. weird lunge underneath the streetlight in Minneapolis. <laughs> you only had to do one lunge. I mean, that's pretty impressive. I thank you, thank you. Um, it did sound I, like it was four <laughs> months of preparatory work before that one big lunge, but yeah, it absolutely was. Uh, and it was I I wooed her with my weird nature facts. She has said to me that she has learned more about nature being with me in general than any other time of her life so <laughs> love there you, you <laughs> rachel is teaching about the birds and the bees oh Good my god 
<laughs> anyway, so that's all I have for you today. I just want to talk a little bit about the courtship display of the uh, greater sage grouse. I really wanted to touch on that for this holiday season of Valentine's Day. Uh, so my sources this week were the Audubon Society, Wikipedia, and the National Wildlife Federation. Thank you. So, Thanks. Yeah. So we're going to take a break, and when we return, it'll be Victoria. Hey, we're back. So this week, in honor of Valentine's Day, I'm going to talk about how warm, loving relationships can turn up in very unexpected places. Okay. In this case, I'm uh, yeah, in this case, I'm going to talk about giant poisonous rats. What? <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you say okay. giant poisonous giant poisonous rats? Rats. Correct. Yes. Okay, uh, Rachel, we we did hear that correctly. Good. Awesome. Love that yeah. for every. Okay. It, uh, okay. Sure. Sure. They're actually Continue. fairly cute. Lafiomis imhausi is known as the maned rat or African crested rat. And they're pretty large. They're up to 36 centimeters long. That's about 14 inches, just their body. With the tail, it's longer. Oh, Ooh, is, oh um, not, the, not the tail. Okay, cool. Yeah. Oh, they are really cute. That is a and large rat, but they are really cute. <laughs> yes. They have very fluffy fur that's gray, black, and white. And honestly, they look more like a cross between, I would say, like a skunk and a porcupine than what you would traditionally think of as a rat. Yeah, but I'm they looking are, at a picture right now, and they definitely, they don't have that, like, typical rat tail that you think of. Right. And they are rodents, though. They're rats. Um, and they live in East Africa. And in East, East Africa, they've long had the reputation for being poisonous. Uh, and there are many anecdotes of animals, particularly dogs, uh, getting sick or even dying after biting a crested rat. And Oh, wow. Finally, in 2011, scientists confirmed what locals already knew. Uh, the rat has poisonous fur, and the most likely source poisonous of the poison... Poisonous fur? Yes. Yes. Of course. Dang. Sure. That's... Oh, okay. So, the most likely source of the poison is a tree known as the poison arrow tree. Go figure. Okay. Yeah, that's Makes sense. Strong candidate, I would think. Uh-huh. So, traditionally... Uh, have been used to make poison arrows to hunt game in the regions where it grows. Oh, I, phew, I did not see that coming. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Well, hence the name. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, actually, the tree is in the same family as milkweed. Okay. That oh, makes wow. sense. Okay. All right. Yeah. Interesting. So, so, as you probably have heard, if you listen to this show, uh, you know that monarch butterfly caterpillars feed exclusively on milkweed and uh, the bitter toxins in the milkweed make them unappealing to birds and other predators. Yeah. And also the adults because uh, the toxins carry over from the caterpillar mm -hmm. page. But um, the toxin from the poison arrow tree is actually closely related to the milkweed toxin and they're in the same family of plants. Uh, so it turns out that the rats chew on the bark of the tree and then they groom themselves with their toxin-laden saliva 
and their hair is very specialized and uh, porous and spongy, and it wicks up the saliva and stores the poison in their fur. Saliva wicking fur. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Things There's a I paper I was looking expecting. at. It, it showed the uh, the hairs under an electron microscope, and you could see the very porous structure of the hair, and they had like a time-lapse series of photographs with the wicking action of the hairs. It was kind of cool. <laughs> cool. But the toxin doesn't huh. seem to affect the rats. Um, but if they encounter a predator, they, I mean, they, they will sort of attempt to get away. They, they can run fast, but they don't tend to run very fast if they don't have to. And they often choose not to, uh, similar to what a, say a skunk might do or a porcupine, they will turn and confront the predator and kind of hiss. Um, and they actually move their fur and normally their fur kind of appears gray, but if they move their fur in the right way, it can show black and white stripes as a warning coloration. Yeah. Wow. I'd seen photos of them with that black and white striping. I didn't realize that was something they could actually control. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah that was wild. my understanding. Um, however, if the predator goes ahead and attacks, apparently it just takes a mouthful of fur for the poison to take effect quite quickly. Uh, and the effects can range from a lack of coordination of the muscles to frothing at the mouth to death by apparent heart failure. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. Not great. Poor doggy. Uh, in addition, the rats have other adaptations that can help them survive being bitten. <laughs> so they're kind of like, yeah, bite me. Try it. Uh, Bring so it on. <laughs> they, have very, they have very thick skin and they have an extra tough skull and vertebrae. So all of this, I'm, you know, I think it makes the, the crested rats sound very formidable. Um, mm-hmm. And scientists for a long time just thought that they were solitary and unsocial poisonous creatures. Um, But in a paper that was published in 2020, some biologists from the U.S. and Kenya found something very surprising. So they were trapping these crested rats to learn more about them. In particular, they wanted to prove that it was, in fact, the bark of this tree that was the source of the toxins, because that had just been... um, hypothesized based on the analysis of their saliva and nobody Mm -hmm. had actually seen them chewing the bark. They wanted to trap the rats and give them some of this bark to see if they would chew on it and groom themselves uh, for the cameras. (laughs) But (laughs) they had a, they had a tricky time finding good locations to trap these rats. Uh, Finally, they did start catching a few and given what was thought about the rats at the time being solitary, solitary, it, wouldn't necessarily make sense to put a trap back in the same location after you just successfully caught one. Um, Right. There shouldn't be any more there. Yeah. You got it. Right. Exactly. The territory would kind of be emptied out, but on a hunch or maybe a whim, I don't know. One of the scientists decided to reset a trap in the same location. And sure enough, she soon caught another crested rat. (laughs) Interesting. And brought it to the lab and put it in a cage near the other rat that was also in the cage. And this is when the scientists noticed that the rats started purring and really behaving in all ways as if they wanted to be near to each other. Aw. Yeah. So. Well, that's sweet. The scientists put them in the same cage and they started grooming each other and acting all lovey-dovey. Aw. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 
And then they, they trapped more rats and the same thing happened. And then they uh, even trapped a couple rats at the same time and even groups of three. So they and kept them in cages together in the, um, in the lab. And <laughs> all of these groups of rats were very affectionate. Like they didn't put them all in one big cage, but the, the ones that sure, like, sure. seemed to be attracted to each other. Yeah. yeah, they were very mm. affectionate. They spent lots of time purring and grooming each other and just like snuggling up together. <laughs> there were occasional, very brief, aggressive interactions, um, sort of a marital spat, I guess, if you will. But these did seem to be um, like pair bonded male and female pairs with some of their offspring. So it was just like big, happy rat families Aww. all snuggling together in the lab. That's so cute. Yeah. And they did, in fact, observe the rats chewing the poison bark and grooming themselves. So they confirmed what they were looking to confirm and, and found something nice. cool and interesting to, uh, to add to it. So my sources this week were uh, a couple papers that I re- referenced. Uh, mm-hmm. One is called The Secret Social Lives of African Crested Rats. Uh, in the Journal of Homology from December 2020. And the other one was A Poisonous Surprise Under the Coat of the African Crested Rat uh, in the Proceedings of the Royal Society B from August 2011, and also Science News. That's what I have this week. Nice. Nice. They were so, uh, such affectionate little critters. Yeah. Oh, so nice. <laughs> well, uh, we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we'll have something from Kirk. Welcome back. Uh, so we've had these nice little stories uh, this week about Valentine's Day. You know, it, it means different things, different people. For some people, it means nothing at all. Exactly. But, you know, it can, be about, it can be about romance. It can be about courtship. It can be about love. And of course, it can be about giant 12-hour long orgies. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Gosh. What's that you say? Not at your house? Well, <sighs> frankly, not at mine either. Um, but it's time for... Uh, Time for all of us to go down to Australia. Oh, oh good. I That's think right, Rachel. We're going to Australia. Beautiful. I'm in, but also I think I know where you're going with this, and I need to take it off my list, but I'm also just, <gasps> dear Lord. <laughs> we'll see. I uh, want to introduce you to the sexed-up marsupial, the Antichinus. Uh-huh. Is that what on your, that's on your list? That's Antichinus? it. Antichinus? Beat, beat you to it, the Antichinus. Yep. I have never heard of that. Um, Animal. A lot of people haven't. Uh, there is not much to say about the appearance of this week's weird animal. Uh, it isn't hideous. It isn't rainbow colored. Uh, it doesn't shoot flaming mucus out of its eyes. <laughs> it's just a small, brown, furry mouse rat like looking cr- critter from Eastern Australia. Yep. Um, kind of not so much unlike uh, you know, Victoria's uh, critter. It, it really it doesn't have the stripes, though. It looks like really unremarkable uh the mouse slash rat uh, yeah. description it has a really um, long like nose it has a longer a little, nose and really a little shrew like maybe yep yep yeah. uh, those are all good descriptions um mouse or rat describes both sort of the appearance and the size there's uh, actually some variation in the sizes so they can range kind of all over those different sizes. Uh, mm-hmm. As you may have guessed from my intro, though, what makes this animal interesting uh, uh-huh. is not what it looks like. It is behavioral. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Here in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, we are in the dead of winter. 
Uh, there's been a number of different holidays celebrated on or near February 14th over the years. Uh, there's actually a lot of arguing among scholars as to like which ones were related to which ones and whatnot. But uh, we, what we do see is that there have been several different historic celebrations in mid-February that celebrate like romance, love, and fertility. And indeed, mm. spring is just around the corner. And at least here in North America, we'll soon have spring babies. Mm -hmm. uh, this uh, isn't the case, though, in Australia, where the time of fertility is more like July through September, sort of yep. when they're having springtime yeah. uh, down under, as it were. So that is when the Antichinus mates. And who, boy, do they ever. So <laughs> uh -huh. the first thing to note uh, is that the females are uh, monoestrous. So that means they all become ready to mate at the exact same time. Uh, the Wonderful. females are also not monogamous. Uh, they want to mate with as many males as possible. And the same thing is also true of the males. Uh, this is actually a classic example where basically spreading your genes as far and wide as possible maximizes the chance for those genes to survive. Uh, the females, incidentally, uh, can give birth to litters with young from multiple different fathers. Oh, that's uh, pretty actually, cool. Yeah, well, this you think about it, this hedges their bets, right? They don't actually need to sort of compete to find the best male. They just mate with tons of males and, you know, hoping that you get a bunch of good ones and that some of their offspring will survive. So it's a little bit different technique, but, you know, uh, definitely works. Uh, Antichinus actually comprise about 15 different species. So not every species is going to be exactly the same, but studies have demonstrated uh, that the, let's just call it like a, a breeding frenzy, uh, can last <laughs> up to 12 mm -hmm. hours yep. or more uh -huh. Uh -huh. in some species. So that's... Or that's more. Right, 12, oh my God. 12 <laughs> hours exhausting. of breeding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like... so if, tired but here's just the thinking thing, about Victoria, it. If, if you think that sounds exhausting, you don't know the half of it. Okay. Oh, <laughs> no. Antichinus don't have long lives. Uh, no. The females do live longer than the males, maybe a little over two years, but males only live one year or less. So this is literally their only chance to pass along their genes. If they're not successful in the first year, they will not survive long enough for a second chance. Once breeding is over, they literally have no purpose to live at that point, right? Mm -hmm. So why not just leave it all on the table uh, <sighs> during during mating? the male's body is flooded with corticosteroids. This basically uh -huh. allows them to use every bit of energy in their body and direct it toward mating. Everything else pretty much shuts off. So this flood of corticosteroids uh, may be, I sort of think of it like the Antichinus version of Viagra, uh, but <laughs> the side effects uh -huh. are that once, once the party's over, the males die. Yep. In fact, they're just like they're, so wrung out, basically. They drop of, dead. <laughs> they're kind of dying while it's happening, frankly. Oh, that's uh, horrifying. Yeah, this 12 hour sexathon leads to the death of the entire male population, basically <laughs> due to exhaustion. Uh, they are literally falling apart by the end. Their immune system is shut down so they can, they can get sick. They get ulcers. They can get gangrene. Basically, oh. they sound like in sex 12 zombies hours? by the end. 
Well, I think things kind of start shutting down a little bit before that, even. Okay. Um, Like their body's like, yep, we've made all this thorium we need to. Like, shut everything else down and let's go. Um, Wild. So, I mean, they're dying by the end, but it is okay. I mean, that their job is done, right? Mm-hmm. The females, though, they have more work to do. They have to survive long enough to give birth and to wean the young. And there's variation in different species. Uh, some females, like the ones uh, that really only live like one year and then give birth and essentially die mm-hmm. once they're weaned. Um, there's those ones. And then there's a few species. Um, I, th- I believe it's primarily some of the larger ones that do live over two years and are thus able to mate in two consecutive years. Now, one of the other really interesting little things about these critters is that um, it's kind of a little tit, uh, tidbit, or maybe I should say, uh, use the more proper British English version, say titbit. Um, <laughs> let's talk about mm-hmm. nipples. Oh. So oh. Um, n- okay. nipple number is not consistent in Antichinus across the species. Huh. Researchers have found some species have, any, uh, have anywhere from like six to 13 teats. So why wow. the range? Um, well, let me put it this way. So Victoria, you have twins, right? Has raising two kids at the same time of the same age been a little stressful for you? At times, yes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now imagine raising a dozen kids at the exact same time. Would that be, uh, pretty rough based on your Unimaginable. Yeah. No. (laughs) Right. So the stress of having to raise so many young, um, has been brought up, brought up as a possible reason why Antichinus females don't live very long. (laughs) <laughs> but interestingly, um, the ones with fewer teats, say just six, are also the ones that can live for two years. Uh, so hmm. one could presume that raising a smaller litter is physically less exhausting and literally doesn't kill you in the process. We could also, though, look at it from the other direction. If you only live one year, you need to maximize the number of offspring you create. If right. you live two years, yeah. you can you know, t- take it a little easier not as much as riding on each mating season. You don't need to create and sustain as many young. So you can take more time with the six young and make sure mm-hmm. they're healthy. The outcome is actually the same numbers wise in the end, having mm-hmm. like six over two years or 12 in one year. Um, you know, each is producing 12 offspring before they die. It's just like nature is finding two different solutions that both work, which I think is pretty, pretty cool. So that's, cool. I, that's what I wanted to share with you. The Antichinus. Uh, totally bizarre Just, sure <laughs> a wild time down under um uh-huh. you know this this is a story i've known about for a while and wanted to talk about but i i, I as a source i guess i'll throw out there i got a bunch of the number specific numbers i looked them up um on wikipedia so it's a good source a good starting a source for learning about antichinus but mm-hmm. there's a wow th- there's a yeah. lot out there they are um they are they are really extra well, that is that, that is for sure. Yeah, rather grim. Yeah, so, I guess uh. something to think about on Valentine's Day. Um, you don't live need to live up to the Antichinus. Um, <laughs> Maybe don't. In, I don't in think you can ways, live up to the Antichinus. The Antichinus can't live up to Antichinus. <laughs> they die well, in the clearly, end. Clearly, at least the men certainly can't. I don't recommend it. it. That's that's how their species does things. Maybe <laughs> we should um, make different choices. put it that way Uh uh-huh well thank you for that yeah thank you to everybody for uh stopping in this week yeah we will see you all next week uh make sure you give us a follow on all of our social media including our new tumblr yay happy valentine's day happy valentine's day 
if you're into that kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of The Strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange. Hey friends, this podcast is powered by Podbean Podcast Hosting. Are you thinking about starting your own podcast? Or maybe looking for the best home for your podcast? Check out all the amazing features Podbean offers with unlimited bandwidth and storage for an affordable price. That's right, unlimited. Visit podbean.com strange to check it out today and get a month free. It's p-o-d-b-e-a-n dot com slash strange.